old man, what are you doing in this temple of evil? I, I actually, I regret that. Uh, I was going to do a whole bit at the start. I didn't like where it went. I'm having a hard day. This is RTFM. Oh, it's been a while. Uh, it's been so long since we've been together. It's fine. I'll secretly just steal some of uh, some of this. Yeah, I'll audio. explain the bit in a second. Um, I am Aaron at Aaron M. King on Twitter. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Max. I, I'm still here. Fuck, uh, is this going to be our our new worst episode? Oh, no. Is it? I mean, it's fine. We're starting the year off. If we start bad... We can only get better mm. over the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can only go up from here. Um, it can't be our worst episode because we are reunited after a whole month uh, apart from yeah. one another. We and actually barely hung out in that time. Seriously, yeah, for real. Yeah, it was it's a weird month. I feel I feel a void is being filled as we speak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Great. As we, I feel like the most universal RTFM start is, and we're feeling weird. Yeah. Feeling weird today, yeah. everybody. Um, uh, but this... we're reading, a, it can't be our worst episode because I love this thing that we read. <laughs> yeah, this is one, the first episode of the new year. Uh, mine's been shit so far. I hope everyone's doing better than that. Two, this is part of our very slow ongoing series of D and D explorations. Yeah. Um, today we are talking about Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition First Quest, uh, which is a box set. We'll get into more details in a second. Um, the The idea of like going through the D and Ds was appealing. It still is. I didn't mean to past tense it. Um, but it's a complicated history. And so I did just want to say quick, like AD&D first edition came out in 1978, which was just a few years after original D&D. It was not a big deviation. It updated some rules and added a bunch of stuff from different supplements and like Dragon Magazine and stuff like that. So it added new classes like the Druid and the Assassin. Um, but then being released parallel with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was basic Dungeons and Dragons. And there are multiple editions of basic Dungeons and Dragons. One is like what is now called BX, which is the basis for a lot of OSR games. One became Beckme, which is basic expert champion master immortal something. I just just like there's a lot. There's a lot going on. We're not going to go through all of those. I have the red box, and I don't know which one that is. It's I'm not, not. I'm not going to risk it. I'm not, not going to risk. Red, it's not the like full red box. It's like right. the red, red dragon box. I, I wanted to do a called shot and be like, oh, oh, is it the black box with the red dragon? No, it's like has like a bluish background and a big red dragon on the front. Is it the blue box? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, exactly. I so we're not it. going through all that. We're not. So AD and D was not that different from original D and D which was also sort of similar to basic. I mean, there are obvious differences, whatever. AD&D second edition, which is what we're talking about, came out in 1989, which is a full 15 years after original D&D, and it was a much bigger overhaul. It's like drastically different. Um, it was partially response to the satanic panic, so it removed assassins. It renamed demons and devils. Um, it was kind of... Uh, 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 kindly teen facing product 
Uh, TSR was like in full corporate mode. It was no longer being run out of Gary Gygax's garage. Uh, and I think the AD&D revision was also when they took out a lot of stuff, a lot of contributions by Dave Arneson, because up until then they'd been paying him a certain amount, uh, a royalty for his contributions. They wanted to stop doing that and say, this is our game. You didn't have anything to do with it. Um, so it's it's a big difference from original D&D. This specific box, First Quest, was released in 1994. It's a starter box. It has a bunch of short books, uh, some miniatures, some dice, player aid cards, a DM screen, and a CD. And the CD has tracks that introduce you to the idea of D&D. It has music. It has character dialogue that you play at certain times. And that's what I was going for with the opening bit. But I did not have the mental wherewithal to keep it up. It's because I stole your bit. <laughs> I did. I did a you intro. Yeah, for the and, last episode. And now I've taken it from you. The one good part that I didn't get to was in the CD. The old man says, "You must pass three trials. First, the trial by combat." And I was going to say trial by podcast, and then I was going to start, but. If only this were edited and we could put that back in, no, but then this whole bit wouldn't don't make deal, sense. Don't deal with it. It's, it's not I have the it. basic first set. <laughs> I looked it up while you were okay. giving us the introduction. Is that is that the Dave Holmes? Yes. Okay. Yes. That was going to be my called shot. Which means that this is my third boxed, boxed D&D product, this first quest, because I love a box set. I yeah. wish everything came in a box set. Fuck books, fuck zines. Make a box set. <laughs> I'm over it. No more zines. Later in the um, episode, Aaron and I will tell you what we're doing for Zine Month. <laughs> which is not a box set. It's not um, a box set. Yeah, um, this box I, set, it I rules. Love it. I love it so much. Yeah. It's great. Uh, the map is beautiful. So I have, to preface this, I have an incomplete box set because I live in Canada, which when it comes to used games... Is like a hellscape. Like it's just a barren wasteland. Americans manufacture regimes. their games to kind of erode and degrade once they cross any international border. I don't know if people know this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. You can look it up on Wikipedia. Um, so a lot of used games kind of just crumble to dust. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had to go into to outer space. To <laughs> Which America owns. Yeah. Um, and is also present in this game. Uh, to get this. So mine's incomplete, so I don't have the mins or the CD. Um, are there also dice in this set? That, was there supposed to be dice? Yeah, I dice? don't have the dice either. Okay, so mins, dice, CDs don't have mine. I have all of the paper um, products, uh, uh, I think. The CD is on YouTube. If you just search AD&D First Quest, all the tracks are on there. I highly recommend it. Like oh even like God. maybe just pause the podcast now and go listen to a few. Yeah, yeah. Fuck us. Go listen to that. Nothing we could do could ever. Yeah. I did tweet this um, while I was reading this all and listening to some of it. I was like, just nothing, nothing we any of us ever make is gonna hit this high again. Let's and it's, it's it honestly good. Like it is a little cheesy, but it's like there's useful stuff in there. We'll get into it. I wanted to, if it's okay with you, I would love to do rule book, CD, cards, adventure book everything else in that order sure yeah if that's all right i meant to send you this agenda i usually do it's been a hell of a month uh you didn't put the dungeon master screen in there but i guess it's in the everything that's in the everything else yeah it Um, deserves its own spot 
We'll give it. We'll give it its own spot. We're doing it live. Um, rule book. Rule book. This shit is 16 pages. It's so good. It's, it's 16 pages, and there's art, and there's... Uh, yeah, the art um, is by Jeff Butler, who has done a bunch of D&D stuff. You'll probably recognize it if you look at it. It's awesome art. It's, it's better, it black and better white. than contemporary uh, D&D art. Yeah, it's black and white ink drawings. It um, does a thing that I really like in that it introduces a cast of characters and then shows them throughout the book in different situations. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a nice, clean layout. It's two columns on uh, eight and a half by 11. There are sidebars set with a nice blue background. The headers are big and blue. It's just like really easy to browse and use. There's a, a table of normal equipment that you can buy on the back. Like they use the whole real estate. Um, the tone so is sort of, it's yeah. The tone to me feels like a middle school activity book, it like a highlights a magazine almost. Um, it's just like really clear and like pretty earnest. And I feel a little talked down to at times, but never in a really bad way. Um, the example that I want to pull is, uh, under the heading clerics powers, clerics have the power to turn undead this means that they tell an undead monster or group of monsters to go away and it does it's just like there's no (laughs) i tweeted this there's no poetry there's no like they invoke the power of the gods to infuse divine radiant it's just like get out they say go away and they do it's perfect Um, and the whole book is like that like it's just sort of like straightforward i don't know yeah. It's so simple. It I don't like I do know what. So it's only it's only a limited version of the rules. It is the the rules that you need in order to play the adventures that are included. And right. then levels 1 through 3 for the characters. Yeah. And even part of the rules are uh ext- expanded rules. So like to play the first adventure you don't even you only need to read the first 9 pages. Yeah. Um of it and then the rest of it is expanded rules and you could probably get away with not looking at these until they come up in the rules, if they <laughs> right. come up in the rules yeah. Yeah. Um, or in the adventure. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just pleasant. I had this thought about like, this is a big overarching thought, so maybe I should hold it till later. But the the way it applies to this is that like, you know what's great? Not glossy paper. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It, do, it does feel like a highlights magazine and that it's like meant to be paged through. I think they even say, you can write in this book. They do. Multiple times they say write in the book. It's not like, because it's not, I mean, it's not a luxury item, right? Like we treat them all like luxury items now, but it's not. It's a tool that's meant to be used. Right. And, we, and that if it makes it easier to use it, write in the book. Um, Which I like. Please do that with anything I release. Please write in the book. <laughs> um, yeah. I love matte paper. Matte? Yeah. 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 It's toothy. just standard paper. I love a it's not like paper. glossy exactly. printed paper. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is great and probably was them saving money at the time and now would cost so much more than our like thin, <laughs> shitty, glossy paper that we have to yeah. use to print everything on. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame though because... It's just, it makes it so much easier on the eyes when there's no glare. I know this, I am getting old and my eyes are deteriorating and I've started noticing oh, I'm things the same like way. this. This is, I almost went off on a tangent about like the way they reprint comic books these days with the glossy paper <laughs> and the different colors. And it's just, but it's, I think there is something too, you know, it's sort of like there's an experience t- 
tied to this, like a tactile experience that encourages a certain way of behaving that is equivalent to like, yeah, you can look up the Mona Lisa. Not that this book is the Mona Lisa of RPGs, but you can look <laughs> it up, but that's much different than being able to like stand close and see the brushstrokes. Or, you know, it's different. It's a different experience to find a comic book from 1983 in a back issue box and read it and see the ads and see the dots of color and how that was on this cheap paper versus buying you know, a $30 trade paperback and it's, you read it all at once and it's glossy paper. There's no ads, there's no letters. Like yeah. there's a kind of paratextual experience to getting this in the original state. That Which I is... think is the part of the, I think what you're poking at for me is part of the box set experience. Yes, always, absolutely. Right? Like even if it's a new box set, right? Like even, even if it's a, I continually kick myself for kind of not getting the mouse reader box set that went on Kickstarter a while back because uh, it just looked great and all the adventures looked fun. But like, I think you can do a box set as your launch product or as a relaunch of a product, but it is like you're designing a, around a very specific play, like reading and tool-based experience. And I just love it. I just love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is some funny stuff in here. There's lots of language about the DM being in control. Uh, like, I'm glad we left that behind. There's lots of funny gender descriptions. Like sometimes they're just like a fighter does this, but then sometimes they're like a female cleric who tries to do this. And it makes me wonder if there was like an older version that had male and female versions of all the pre-made characters or something. I was actually going to say, I was actually going to comment on that because I think I remember, and I want to say this was like 3.5 or something. This was a long time ago. There was like a, a big hoopla made about wizards uh putting in pronouns n not like not defaulting all their pronouns to male or to oh. DM, right? and people did not like that no they like they were like they were applauding <laughs> oh a rewrite of like oh now now it's not they're not only using he to describe the gm oh. or they're this not book only using expressly he to includes yeah women as both characters and players yeah that's why i noted it because i remember when i was a teenager or whatever possibly my early 20s there was this like big note of like oh they've changed the default pronoun so that they're more inclusive um and more varied and I think it's funny because it gave me this whole, like, again, this is just one of these things that I keep coming up against, but it gave me this impression that all the older versions were so much worse. And then we get through these older versions and I'm like, oh, it, there is lots of places where because you're reading an old text, because there is a certain voice being used, you're expecting the character that they're talking about to be male. And then they just throw other pronouns at you yeah. or they like debunk that expectation you have. And I'm like, this is... It's kind of neat. Yeah. It's a neat thing I noticed. Yeah. Like they just flip back and forth between. Right. Which is what tons of kind of explanatory or non-fictional uh, instructional books would do, I think, yeah. around this time. Um, the rules are pretty simple. So there's pre-made characters. We'll get to the pre-made character cards in a second. So there's not a lot of rules about making a character. Um there are rules for uh, attacking. This is the system of, of Thaco or Thaco, which a lot of people hold up as this ancient relic of unworkable game design. It's clunky. It stands for to hit armor class zero. The way it's explained is here is you roll a d20, 
you subtract that roll from your character's Thacko, which is probably 20, but then goes down as you level up. So you subtract your roll from Thacko. If it's equal to or lower than your target's armor class, you hit. Um, and armor class is also descending, which is like also a little clunky, but it all, you know, it's as with any kind of rule set, I think you are confused for the first 20 minutes and then you internalize it and it's fine. Isn't the math actually easier? Isn't it like if you just, if you, if you subtract their armor class from their Thacko, you get the roll you need to roll over. Either way. I mean, I think it's just that like, I, cause I remember when I first played a game with Thacko, I had to like, it was hard for me to figure out. And then somebody explained the easy version of the math. And I was like, why isn't this how it's explained? Yeah. I don't know. I guess with the, if you do the AC first, it's a lower number probably that you're doing math with. Um, I never I mean, had also a problem armor with class it. can change. So like, Right. It's not always, it's not like a fixed number, but. Um, Oh, and I should say too, like this was the second role-playing game product I ever bought, I think, after buying the Black Box uh, basic D&D starter kit as well. And so um, I had this for many years. I got rid of it at one point and uh, recently found a new copy. And I was like, damn, nostalgia. Um, So I am, there. that's my bias, I guess, is all I mean. I have no bias. I just liked it. <laughs> um, what are other rules differences from OD&D? Uh, I don't it, know this does introduce... So one thing I liked is uh, it, it says over and over, like, characters can try anything. Um, you know, they have some stuff to choose from on their character sheet, but they should feel free to try anything. And the DM gives a chance of success on that. And one method they recommend is... Just make up a percentage. Uh, and they're like, the, the fighter is trying to find a window while blindfolded. The DM decides they have a 20% chance, and they roll the, the DM rolls the dice. And if it's under that or equal to it, they do it. And then this also says uh, it introduces ability checks. Um, we roll the d20 and try to get under. And then all characters have one saving throw number. So that's like the other resolution is you're trying to roll equal to or over the saving throw number. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty, pretty good. like it's, it's like, pretty lean. It's pretty Yeah, it doesn't feel and maybe we'll get into this more later, but like a big part of third edition and onward was like the unified D twenty mechanic, right? You're always gonna roll a D twenty plus something and you're trying to roll high. And Ooh. I I get the appeal in that i get like in trying to teach a, a game to a new player you just get to say you're gonna do this that's all you have to think about um but i also like these kinds of different mini games almost yeah and i don't it, think it's that much harder to hold three different mini games in your head especially if you can clearly explain you roll the saving throw when someone casts a spell on you or your a trap is affecting you you know i this I for me like that's a whole your mileage may vary thing. I get wanting the streamlined singular mechanic. I get the feeling of mini games like Mario Party. Fucking now we're gonna shake the Wii moat and now we're gonna I don't know. I also I mean yeah we'll talk about this someday when we read third edition and I go through my nostalgia trip. But uh, yeah, if it were streamlined, great. But that's not what they did. 
they did not make it simpler right. by adding you always roll a d20. So that that theory, that the dream of that was crushed upon entry. Um, I do like that like this has a little bit of the DCC vibes where you have like the different classes have their own little mini games because mm-hmm. that's what they can do, um, which I always enjoy. I kind of am like, if you're going to give me classes, then make sure that they don't have overlap, which I think is one of my big criticisms of current D&D is that I'm like, I don't want to be able to do the same thing. I want to be able to do my own cool thing. Um, otherwise, I don't need a class. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I kind of, I like that. They also, I mean, it includes the, is this the, did OD&D have alignment? Um, it had law, chaos, neutral. Yeah, yeah. This has so the full traditional Now we have nine. the grid, the, yeah. like... The thing, the thing to yell about in your group. Uh, this has a thief class, or a yeah, it has a thief class, whereas original D and D did not, and it also has races. Original D and D had race as class, like it could be an elf, dwarf, or a fighter, or you know. Um, but here you could be a fighter who is also a dwarf, and that has different rules. Um, I don't know. Is this fun radio? This is boring. I feel like half of I, our audience is like, shut the fuck up. We know. And the other half is like, oh, is this, this is new, but still not interesting. Oh, well. <laughs> I am, I am, I, I kind of liked how they, I found how they described alignments interesting, but that's also because I am a person who actually really likes alignment. Um, yeah. Do you want to get into it? Do you want to? I mean, I don't have to get deep into which it. Which alignment but... would Batman be? I don't Which fucking care about Batman. <laughs> Which Spider-Man Batman? Be? Uh, Good Batman? I don't, waffle, Batman waffle is the least good. interesting character in Batman, so... I don't know. Give me, like, the alignment of uh, Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. Give me the alignment of Uma Thurman. <laughs> yes, Real also Uma human. Thurman. While we're at it. <laughs> Real life human Uma Thurman. Give me the alignment. Give to me the six alignments or whatever only through Uma Thurman characters. <laughs> I'm sure someone's done that. That would actually be a fun challenge. Uh, no, it's just like, I don't know, like lawful good. These characters follow laws, make plans, and care about everyone else. This is the alignment of true heroes. Neutral good, taking care of people and doing what is right uh, are more important than obeying laws or following lo- rules. These characters or monsters follow good laws but are willing to break others. Uh, and I just feel like those are... I don't know. There's something about the simplicity and how they're described that makes them kind of useful as character tools, which is what I feel like alignment should be. Like I really, the reason that I think I've said this before on the podcast, but the reason I like alignment is because I like to play to figure out who my characters are, not have like pre-generated stories and behaviors in mind for them when I go into it. And alignment helps me do that as a tool for like helping me figure out how a character would respond to a certain circumstance. Um, And these are kind of just a nice framing for that. So I like them. Yeah. Whereas I feel like they got really complicated and, I don't know, a little too much later on in life. As with everything. It's interesting. It's fun because, like, I do still have, I don't know about you, but I still have a little bit of D&D nostalgia. I get disappointed every time I engage with it. Yeah. But no, the nostalgia I mean, is still kind of there. <laughs> I want to play uh, both AD&D and 4E, um, but the idea of, like, asking someone to grapple with this monster with me is, like, a sort of intimate like i would need to create a polycule just to play one of these dungeons and dragons yeah that's fair yeah we would have to have a session zero about our romantic entanglement and 
listen, we're going to get deep into this dumb shit. I was going to say, I will take on the games with you, but I guess that means we also have to become romantically entangled. We also uh, have to like live closer then. Yeah, that's um, true. Great. So 2023. Stay tuned to... for news of our Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. We're going to meet and become romantically entangled in 2023, and then we're finally going to get to play D&D. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. The, also the 4E. Part. I've never played 4E. So, oh, it's you know. so good. Um, I did want to quick shout out the AD&D 2nd Edition Dark Sun box set has the alignment stuff, and because Dark Sun is set on a desert world, all the alignment stuff is about when and who they would share water with which i thought was just a nice little twist of like oh you're familiar with this let's make it specific to this world i will always remember that it's just a neat little thing i gotta gotta read that i have the box set in just printed shitty drive-through form which is not great but i still need to read it Um, okay let's get to this fucking cd yeah the cd (laughs) the star of the show the star of the show the cd it is so good i don't even it is a little cheesy i don't care it's not even it's not that cheesy it is it is less cheesy than 98 percent of actual plays yes absolutely yeah uh so it can barely even be called cheesy within the landscape of rpgs i think uh i love it we can't talk about the cd without talking about the adventure book they go hand in hand Um, oh yeah i think well i think all right. So the CD, I think we already said, like has a number of tracks. The adventure book is telling you when to play those tracks. There's like dialogue for characters in the adventure. But also it starts off with a multi-track in character and out of character kind of explanation of what D&D is. And so even before you get into the rules or the adventure, they say like, just put on the first few tracks and listen. And there's this dramatic rendition of the, like, what are you doing in this temple of evil? And then the trial by combat and the stuff comes out and these zombies are coming out and this is what you're kind of expected to do. But then it has this group of kids talking. Like, that ends and then it cuts to these kids hanging out. And they're like, hey, I'm so glad you invited me over to your house to play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons today. Can you tell me a little bit about it? And it's these kids just kind of talking about, like, so how do you win the game? And it's like, you don't win Dungeons and Dragons. You're playing an individual. You know, it's just, uh, again, cringe adjacent, but also just like earnest and clear explanation of here's what this looks like. Here's yeah, what it's, it's going to be like to hang out with your friends and do this. It's so it's so good and so useful and very of the time, right? Like I yes. remember all kinds of like instructional or like informational cartoons like it has that kind of 90s uh like make sure you look both ways before learning (laughs) crossing the street kind of vibe um i don't know i love it i'm like sold on the idea that the that is the best way to introduce people to rpgs i also think it's interesting because i don't because we talk about that all the time both like you and i have talked about this in the podcast but also on on the internet or whatever people are always talking about how to introduce people to rpgs or what is the best rpg to introduce people to and i think that the question of what the best rpg to introduce people to is a misstep from the get-go um because i think it's much more about how you communicate your introduction and i feel like this is a real highlight of that for me um because i don't know people people say the wildest shit and i guess i just like (laughs) 
I kind of I kind of balk at a lot of the shit people say about this. Like, there's a lot of like, what's the simplest? And I'm like, you're not like assuming that I so it is somebody in my position that is saying something like, what's the simplest? I'm like, I'm not introducing RPGs to people that can't handle complexity. It is not about the complexity of the game. It is about how you communicate complexity, right? right. Like that is, which I feel like is, you know, that's also just like, are you an educator or not? Are you right. good and at introducing There's an aspect of like, like reading the room, right? Like I have yeah. friends that have like all sorts of concentration problems and I do want to think like, oh, I need to make this simple and like I need to have visual uh, tools and I need to break it up into clear steps. But then I have friends who are like, all in on the fucking Gloomhaven or whatever. And yeah. then I'm like, simplicity does not matter. It's about making this sound fun and taking the skills they already know from board gaming and translating them into an equally complex, potentially, but like not intimidating thing. 99% of board games are harder than 99, or more complex than 99% of RPGs. Like if you're, if you are introducing it to somebody who's playing a board game, complexity is not your problem. Yeah. Board games are hard. <laughs> Uh, but like, yeah. And I think that this is kind of like, I don't know. It, I think w those conversations often bring up like ideas of resources, right? And do independent games, do indie games have something about saying independent games felt really weird in comparison <laughs> to indie games, whatever. <laughs> independent games. Does um, the song miss independence? Yeah. Uh, do indie games have the resources to better buff their tutorial materials and audio if they sure as hell do to make an audio guide because it doesn't need to be five people acting in characters to be a good audio guide right like and it doesn't need to be a well-produced actual play it just like i think that this one's well done because there are lots of people they do have some resources but i do think that you could also just sit at your computer and talk through it and probably do that a few times and edit it together into something that is quite digestible. I think it's a, a I don't know, I haven't seen a lot of games. I know that there are some games that um, have had people read the rule books as audio so that there is an audio version of the rule books right. yeah. um, as an accessibility feature, which I think is great. Um, and I think that ties into this a little bit, but it's not really the same as making an audio recording specifically like talking to the, because part of the, the strength here is that they are talking to the listener in a more conversational tone um, with the sole purpose of introducing them to the game. Part of the reason I say we can't really talk about the CD without talking about the adventure book is because the way that it integrates with the adventure book, I think is great. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Before we move on to that, cool. I do just want to say like, I've always fantasized about just groups of like five person cooperatives that's like we all make indie games let's play a 30 minute session of each of our games and record them all and like just trade off you know um add it to the polycule right add it to the polycule if you want that idea it's yours if you want to join mine i, I do with, agree with you that it's like the way that they just have these kids talking scripted but quote-unquote frankly about what they're about to do is really nice yeah. um i like a lot of my game design process has been like be aware of that conversation when i am trying to teach someone new to role-playing games this game and then find a way to put that into the book um and so yeah i think like max was saying like this is a thing that 
you can do. And even if you don't have a fancy mic, it doesn't have to be a, a five session actual play. It doesn't have to be with video, like just having a few people chatting for 30 minutes about your game and then releasing that adjacent or before your game, I think would be really cool. And I say that not as like people should be doing this, but also as I have always wanted to do that and just have never knuckled down and made it happen. But I would love to see more of that. I'll say people should be doing this. <laughs> it's fine. I have, I have a fine making assertions. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think all of us designers use a lot, like make, put a lot of time and effort into a lot of things. And it is not a stretch to say we can put some of that time and effort into making this, um, making something like this. Okay. Uh, adventure book. Here we go. Adventure book. I love this adventure book. I love it. It, I think the layout okay so again we have this like beautiful non-glossy paper the layout is again full of art with all the characters we have maps it is a this is four a whopping adventure. 64 pages it yep. is a whopping four 64 adventures. pages but there are four adventures in those yep. 64 pages yep. yeah uh and the first one is the longest because it has a bunch of um like instructional text on how to get people because they're assuming that you haven't run a Dungeons and Dragons game before. So there's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of instruction. Um, It is two columns, but the outer column is smaller because it contains either the dialogue for the characters that you can read aloud or uh, instructions for what track to play or what track 16 on the thing. And then beneath that instruction, it will say, this track is the goblin saying, give us your gold and we'll tell you where the orb is kept. Otherwise, prepare to fight. Yeah, it's great. I love it. There is also a series. This is the thing that I wanted to highlight about this. In those columns are a bunch of symbols. Uh, and those symbols are a book, a dragon head, a person with a question mark, uh, an exclamation mark, an eyeball, and a foot stepping on a rock. That's the um, least parsable one to me. I could not so figure funny. out what that was at first. It's the so other funny. ones are all very clear. That one, I was like, is that a sort of ice cream treat? <laughs> I'm like, why is this giant boot stepping on a mountain? I didn't really, yeah, whatever. But what it means, the symbols are, so the book is read this section out loud to the players. The dragon head is the monster talks to the characters and said what says what is listed here. The question mark, the players have to make a decision here. The DM should stop and ask the questions given. Exclamation mark is this is an important point uh, that the DM should not overlook. Uh, the eyeball is there's something hidden here. If the characters search, they might find it. And the stepping on the mountain is there's a trap here. And I think that's so I think the iconography using symbols to highlight parts of the text is so good. It's good, and it really does remind me, again, of, like, middle school and high school textbooks of, like, hey, we're going to drop a bunch of shit on you about ancient Egypt. Here's a sidebar that's going to say, like, the word hieroglyphics means this. You know, the three different kingdoms means this. And, like, we need to make this very clear and stand out. You can look back at this. We'll call it out again. We'll bolt some terms. It's just, like... It feels instructional, not in a in a, a demeaning way, like I will explain this knowledge unto you, but like uh, we're making this as easy as we can. We're giving you visual hints. We're giving you layout hints. We will like make it clear. We're going to include a map with where the monsters are. Yeah, and even even as an experienced GM, 
the there's something hidden here this is an important part you shouldn't overlook and there's a trap here are things i want in every module because i do i always forget about like a trap or a hidden thing and i never get it when i scan a block of text even if that block of text is point form i was just gonna say especially if your adventure is 200 pages long or whatever like that needs this stuff even more yeah because for me it's like every adventure most adventures are written to be read before you run them and there is always even even the ones that are like i've written i've laid this out so that you can use it as a tool and like there's people that are comfortable just running them without reading them before but like the whole premise kind of expects you to memorize parts of it right Mm -hmm. and or to have read it yeah beforehand for sure yeah and like and that's fine but what i don't want is i want some way for me to scan the page and get some information and you're never doing that if what you're giving me is text i might still get the information by scanning the page but you are not helping me by only using text to communicate yeah they also Uh, include uh images of the room like this is room nine it's the well and then they have the image of that from the map with little symbols for like where the the monsters start um, stuff like that that I think repeating that is so good. Yes, I ran a, a number of the hardcover 5e adventures and the fact that they would give you a map of the full thing and then no further maps throughout the next 20 pages as they dictate what's in each of those 30 rooms is just like so much flipping back and forth, such a pain in the ass. And there are yeah. like there are current indie designers and OSR designers that reproduce the rooms on the pages that they're described bless you all <laughs> bless your hearts in a serious and earnest way i mean I even it. like even i feel like i've run i don't know a few dcc modules now and they're really good and usually very easy to parse and use and whatever and they would still be better if they recreated part like that's the part that always makes me flip around the book it's like oh i need to go back to the map and remind myself where you guys are or whatever yeah um, and again like you were saying with the pronoun stuff like this is stuff that they were doing in the mid to late 90s that people are now discovering, rediscovering, and saying this should be standard. Um, and so, like, I think this box set deserves credit for that. It's cool. It's good. Also, the art. The art is the same art. It's just it continues oh, this, to be this good. This is a different artist, I think. Um, is it? This is James Crabtree, a different artist, a bit scratchier, uh, if you're familiar with comics, a bit Tom Mandrake on the scratchy inks. It's good. Um, it's really good. There are some good full page arts uh, that are just like mind blowing. I would use them for any game. There's a picture on page 24 of three orcs just like mining and digging holes. And they all look a little different. Like they all have their own personalities. The motion is so good. The background of the uh, wood holding up the mine. There's a lone lantern. It's just like, it's awesome. Each piece of art is so useful to just show the players and say, this is what you see. Yeah. Uh, and it's evocative. Yeah, it's great stuff. There's a there's a little guy on page 21 that I love. <laughs> little guy with a whip. He's a I good guy. Uh, some of this stuff is just like burned into my head too. Like I saw this and I was like, oh yeah, there he is. Oh right, the little goblin with the whip. Um, yeah, so four adventures. First one, you're asked by a wizard to go into a dungeon under a castle there's a, a dangerous artifact under there that was buried long ago by a, a holy knight or whatever, and now this ogre's trying to get it. And if he gets it, he'll turn himself into a dragon and destroy everything. Please go get this thing 
so the ogre doesn't do it. Um, spoilers, I guess, for the adventures. The orb is hidden in a secret room that maybe would be difficult to find. They do a good job of like telegraphing it. The players are given a lot of tools. An NPC they meet might tell them, multiple NPCs. They find a, a key that is also a whistle, and if they play it, uh, you will play the CD and it will do I a, love it. a hotter, colder tone. It's so good. It's really good. It. But it's like, it's a very, I think modern DMing instructions would tell you, don't hide the final thing behind a secret door. Yeah, um, whatever. I think, I mean, I think that's true. I think that's like a DMing mistake, but I think this adventure does a good job of giving enough options that would point people toward, hey, this is hidden. Hey, you might have to look for a secret, blah, blah, blah. I think it, it breaks that rule in an okay way. I think it's fine because it's literally trying to teach the players that secrets exist. Yes. Like you have to have a secret in order to get new players to understand that they may need to look for secrets in the future. Yes. Um, I think the transmedia element of having the little whistle that you blow and you go into the room and then playing a sound on a CD is so good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th I think yeah. I, I, just... I don't think they do it bad. I just wanted to say this is one of those situations where you learn the rules to break them sort of thing. Like, I would not tell a new DM who is writing their first adventure to copy the structure because they wouldn't have that transmedia approach. You know, they wouldn't have all this mm -hmm. other stuff. Um, but the way it's presented breaks that rule, but does it in a way that teaches DMs and players to, like, do this together. It's good. Uh, the second adventure, I think, is maybe worse. Oh, yeah. The second adventure is a haunted house. Yeah, with a creepy romance. And you get locked in. And I if kinda, you. I kind of like that part. If you don't finish it in a certain amount of time, you everyone die. just fucking dies. I love it. That's rough stuff to me. That's high it. stakes. I would just feel bad running this if no one was getting it. And I was trying to, because again, you have to find a certain item in a certain, certain room, and then you have to reunite it with a different object in another hidden room. And once again, there are hints that there is a hidden room here, all this stuff. But it just like, I don't know. It feels weird. I think it's, yeah, I think it's totally fair. Like me loving it as a person who plays games a lot is very different than it being my like literal second uh, exposure to RPGs. But I don't know. I think it I think it functions in the same way, right? Like this is I think it's trying to tell everybody that there are stakes that it's fine if your character dies. If your that character dies, be. you wake up in town tomorrow as a new character. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it's not and, and your character might have already is, died getting here. Right. The hidden room at the end of the dungeon in the first adventure is at the end. Like you progress through the dungeon, it's like hidden deepest. This one is much more open sandbox. It is saying a lot of these rooms are connected. You'll find this object in this one room that you need to use in another room. And it's sort of advancing that idea of this is an interactive world. There's no specific order. Go for it. I also think that like, it doesn't just like, oh, you end like, again, spoilers, I guess, but like, if they are having a hard time, the game just says like the ghost appears and attacks them and kills them. And I think it's like trying, like you can make it a, a dramatic <laughs> ending, <laughs> you know, like it's like, oh, things are kind of like, I think it actually could serve the purpose of combating it just like droning on. 
yeah. right? It's like, oh, you guys aren't really getting it. And I don't really know how to how to communicate any differently. And it's kind of like people are feeling stuck and whatever. And it's like, okay, well, too late. Yeah. I mean, but also there could be a few more tips in there for like, if this is happening, ask your players if they're having a good time. And if not, you know, I just, again, like, what is this teaching? I think this one more than the last one, maybe given our modern understanding of role-playing games, we could rewrite and improve upon. Yes, I'm sure. Um, third adventure? You want to talk about outer space? Wild space? I, I mean, I just love that they put it in there, right? It reminds me of when we were reading OD&D, and there's that note, I think I pulled it out, about that, like, Gary writes about how, like, this is fantasy. It can be anything you want, including science fiction, and it shouldn't be historically accurate. This is meant to be imaginative and go wild or whatever, you know? Um, and this kind of... This kind of reminds me of that because it's. I don't think it's what people would expect necessarily when picking this up. That the third adventure is like it is time for airships and space. Yeah, this is a spelljammer adventure. Five um, E recently released spelljammer stuff. Boo! Um, it's. It, I mean, it's in outer it up, space, so like, but it's like it's closer to like master and commander, eighteenth uh, century Earth sailing ships. Uh, things take a long time. I don't know. Uh, it's weird. It's, there's cannons. You know, there's not laser guns. It's super um, weird. You get to meet Captain Blotimus. Captain hip, Blotimus fucking rules. This adventure was super formative to me, and I was always writing Spelljammer stuff and including Spelljammer stuff. Like, if any players of my longtime 5e campaign are listening, you did Spelljammer stuff. Like, you had a boat. You had an island. You were floating through space. Like, this is why. Um, and this baseball vibes. It does. And this adventure is the map is your ship that you're on. Captain Blotimus's ship. He's like, my crew is missing. There's some evil slavers out there. Please help me find them. And on the map, the ship is connected to three asteroids and another ship. And the adventure basically says, like, that's not a, a physical representation of what's, what's going on. The ship can fly to any of these three asteroids, and then once it gets the right information, can find this other ship. So, like, cover the other parts of the map. And so this is, in the previous adventure, you were stuck in a mansion, sort of sandbox, you go to any room. This one is, you have three places to go, you choose which one first. Um, and you're gathering clues, and it's, um, yeah, I don't know. The map is a little simpler. I don't love the map for this one as far as the individual asteroids go. The ships look awesome, though. I, I mean, I like it in big form. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because this is also, like, I think we said this, but it's a fold-out map, so you can... you get It's a giant miniature-friendly map for all yeah, of Yeah, it's it. a two-sided map. Each side contains two adventures maps. It folds over perfectly so that you only show one adventures map at a time. There's a there's a hot hobgoblin captain, not captain, sub sub captain. I don't know right. boat terms, whatever. Yeah. He's very muscular. This is very. <laughs> this is why this is why my generation is all furries. Um, um, and this one has a lot less. Uh, it doesn't have any tracks to play on the CD. I don't think. No, because they're um, taking off the training wheels. Right, and it like hints at a broader world. With you know, it says like, oh, the Rock of Brawl is the main place in the Spelljammer Wild Space, and you might go there eventually. But that's not what this adventure is about. Um, 
and it is there's less prescribed dialogue for the NPCs. It's more about um, hashing out this this mystery, finding the clues. Um, but it is like another clear progression from the previous two adventures as far as, all right, you all, players and DM, are doing a bit more work on this one. We're providing less. Yeah. Yeah. Which culminates in the last one uh, under Mount Dread, which is very like it's only like eight pages or whatever like it's significantly less significantly smaller and what is cool about it it's a like proper we are getting into proper dungeon land like it is a dungeon it's the first multi-level dungeon it is level one of a dungeon and then you get to where level two is and it's a blank map that they encourage you to draw level two of but they give you all of the keyed elements right it's like a menu and they can say like here's an example room put it wherever you want here's another one put it wherever you want here's the wet room here's the pit here's the description of it and the, the encounter it has in it so just put Put a pit somewhere in there, and and then we level got three, you. they just kind of have a list of like, here's some monsters to include, here's some traps to include, here are some room ideas, mm-hmm. mix mm-hmm. and match on your own, um, and then keep going, go as deep as you want. You should have multiple levels, and this gets to like the original Greyhawk dungeons and just that idea of a persistent mega dungeon that you go into and out of across time, and it's like, yeah, the training wheels are off. Well, the tra- one training wheel remains. It's the first level of the dungeon. But even yes. then, like, we don't have... But you're, like, third level now. You might die in that dungeon. Like, it's not... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's a good staged... So I haven't... There's no way that I can read this and think about this and talk about this without talking about the current D&D starter box that I bought recently. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I got to play... Uh, we played a, one session in it. It, it sucks. Um... <laughs> It fucking sucks. I don't know who it is that was like, I feel like people were like, this is a good starter box. And I'm like, it is a shit starter box. It it has a lot of, if you want to read somebody talking to you about how you might want to play D&D, it's a good starter box. I think my did I just, I, I was going to say, did I hear a, like a baritone saxophone in the background? I think she just howled. Yeah. But she's only howled once in her life and she was asleep. Do you need to turn off the podcast and go see if you have a werewolf intruder? No, I'm sure Izzy has her handle under control. Um, wild. Wild if true, though. If she learns how to howl, it's going to be a wild time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> um, she has only howled once and she was dead asleep. And I thought an air horn was going off. Like the whole house was it was the loudest thing i thought it was coming from outside the house i was a floor away from her can Uh, you save and export that noise for people to use in their creepy learn to play my role-playing game you're in a haunted house yeah you got a werewolf yeah um Um, yeah it just like it doesn't also like part of the thing with this is that tactile experience right you have so many different little books and pamphlets and bits and bobs and there is a dungeon screen which is or a dungeon master screen which is super useful when you're when you're learning how to play games they're so good yeah um i was actually i i think i don't remember if you and i talked about this i was talking about this with someone after our star wars episode uh i was like uh Part of why I've enjoyed playing Edge of the Empire is because I have the DM screen. And I use it as a player and as a GM in that game. And it's what I want out of most books. Like, I don't want that 400-page experience. I want 
something really tight that I can reference. And a big hardcover book does not offer that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this one's good. Like yeah. it is it part of what I like about this one is there's so much space between everything. There's still some fun little art on it. So it actually Write some like notes in there. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Um, but like the new one doesn't have that. Like it just doesn't have good stuff in it. It has these like this really shitty set of dice and these and exclusively the pamphlets that are in it to talk about like paper quality or whatever. It's all glossy paper and the cover isn't even like a different thickness, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't have it in front of me, than like the interior pages and it just feels like somebody like pulled a pamphlet like a promotional pamphlet. Um, I also want to say the the player-facing art on the DM screen. It's a three-panel DM screen. Yeah, dragon. There's a white dragon and kind of a, a, a bronzy reddish dragon. They're fighting. The white dragon is the good guy, obviously, because it has a unicorn horn and a man with a bow. And the other dragon has an evil kind of skull man with a hand on a fire. The the reddish dragon is also clutching a dying bird in one of its hands. Yeah. And then there's a living bird kind of behind the white dragon. Behind it all, there's like this big kind of palace city built into a mountain. And then far off in the back are like many other dragons doing battle, including one on fire plummeting far into the background. There's little fires on the ground. It's just like this, it's such an aspirational moment of like, oh shit, if we play this game, eventually one of us is going to be on a dragon with a magic bow shooting at this fucking evil yeah. wizard Dragon an my evil dragon. dragon yeah well my buddy is in the background sneaking up behind him on this other dragon like it's just it's evocative it's cool it's not it doesn't feel strictly drawn from a specific uh fantasy book or culture like it's just kind of a strange cool world that i would love to fight an evil necromancer in yeah yeah i don't know i'm just into it it i think there is i think part of it is that like all of the different materials have different tactilities yeah <laughs> like there's something to that like the three books are all kind of made the same but they're different but then the um, spell books are not the spell books, the spell books are, are like are much different. trashier thinner paper yeah, yeah. and the, like the spell books around, feel like notebooks yep. like they feel like i am meant to like this is for my character i am meant to like write in it it's chill yeah. or whatever yeah. um there are little character cards that are kind yeah. of cover quality material um that everyone gets yeah they're the, little postcards the front side has uh an image and all the important numbers you need um and is uh slick the back side has basic rules and is uh you can write on it like it's not slick it's toothy paper um yeah. Which, of course, is like, that's what paper was at the time. I think it's so funny that I'm now like, this is luxury. <laughs> and it's because, like, double-sided gloss, a postcard, would make it so much more expensive at the time. Right. But, like, right. no, it's so it's so good. One of the little cards, it teaches you how to read a character card. <laughs> right. It's just, like, the one you'd keep in the middle. So if someone had yeah. questions about their card, they could grab it and look at it. And one uh, of them the is, like, is a little town. picture of the town. Oh, it's so good. And the, the town gets referenced in different adventures, different parts of the town. But most, there are like three things. It ha, It's a numbered town. It's a great looking town. Um, kind of medieval, but also like kind of Roman. There's like a cool temple. There's a wizard tower. Uh, there's also just like a fucking barn in there. Um, but then the back has 
you know, this is the person in the temple. Here's where you get healed. This is the wizard's tower. He gives you missions. And then there's a bunch of other things like Fendrick's Fine Goods, Red Dragon Tavern that have no description. And then at the bottom it says, only three of these are used in the, the game, the adventures you're given. DMs can use the other buildings if they want. And I just love the idea of like, yeah, you go to the tavern. Here's where it is. Here's what it's look like. Here's what it looks like. Or like, oh, you want a, a house? We're actually going to put you in the top of the barn. You live in the barn now. Like, I don't know. Uh, one of, I'm going to sniffle very quickly, edit this out, or don't. I muted myself. Um, one of my favorite D&D experiences was uh, uh, staff at the university, Dave Swenson, was running D&D, and it was like this very thinly veiled each adventure was like a Disney movie sort of thing, but it was like, this is, you know, in this one, Princess Jasmine is the bad guy and has this evil were tiger. Like, it was fun. It was good. It was campy. But in addition to that, we had like a rollout map that we would draw on. And all these adventures were taking place in the same town. Like, Jasmine's coming to visit from this other town, and we have to figure out what's going on with her. And he did this very smart thing, and I don't know if it was conscious or not, but we would draw out the town as it mattered. And so, you know, we met someone in the tavern in the first session, and here's the tavern, because we're getting in a fight. Here's a map of it. And then the next session, um, you know, something would happen in the street, and we'd be like, oh, where's the street in relation to the tavern? And he would draw it. Um, and there's this kind of additive, really fun element of building this town as we played. And then we, you know, 10 sessions later, we'd be chasing Jasmine down the street, and we'd be, you know, our miniatures would be moving by these places that we'd affected in previous sessions. And it was this really amazing feeling of like, oh, we're running by the blacksmith. Remember 10 sessions ago when we went there for this? And oh, we're running by the tavern that we had our first fight in. Ha ha ha. And just like, I think having this little picture of the town does a similar thing of like, here are all these places you can interact with but also you are investing most of them with meaning. Only three of them have meaning at the start. Yeah. I don't know. That was a lot. Sorry. but No, I'm just envious of your long campaigns. Well, that one was, was not that long. It was only, you know, it was probably 10 sessions, but just I will always remember drawing that map. And, it, you know, modern games do that, like Blades in the Dark, I think, with their, like, crew building, advancing your crew, does stuff like that in a very meaningful and mechanical way. Um and obviously, like, uh, Beak Feather Bone has yeah. that element as well. Like, there are people have been smart enough to go, this thing is meaningful. Let's make a game out of it. And it's awesome. I love to see it. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like every element of this was really well thought out. Um, I mean, a criticism, all the player characters are dudes. Um, yep. Yeah. They they have really cool art associated with them, so they're like cool dudes or they're whatever. Hot dudes, yeah, cool and hot dudes. Uh, this this really really gay thief, the oh, gayest you mean, thief. You mean Slinker? Yeah, Slinker. Um, he looks so excited about this loot that he's digging up. The pictures. It's, just, it's a string of pearls. Slinker the pictures loves are a so string of pearls. Good. The pictures are really good. Delvar Ironfist, the dwarf fighter is like badass in a helmet with a horn broken off and yeah. a shield out and an arrow in the shield. And then there's just a skull hanging from a tree above him. And yeah, he looks like knows. he's yelling. And then there's a bunch of people just standing in the background. And I think this is all repurposed D&D &D art. Like I think Delvar Iron Fist 
I'm 100% sure I see Drist Doerden in the background there. Oh, yeah. That's definitely um, Drist. But yeah, the way it's they just do like, it and highlight it is... Uh, as, a, as a comparison, the the new box... I should grab it and actually look at it. But like the character sheets of the new box are, are just character sheets. They're just yeah. like paper, shitty paper with a character sheet. And I think there's like a little black and white illustration. But it's like... It's just a... It's as if you printed it yourself, you know, like, and that, like, I don't know. There's just like, there's an attention to detail to this. There's a quality of it. There is a tactility to it. And then I think that like the way it's actually presented is really easy. And part of it being easy and interesting to interact with, which is like, part of that is hugely the novelty of the CD element. Uh, <laughs> but you but could give makes me you this without the it. CD and just the read aloud text in the sidebar. Totally. I would be almost just as excited about this. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about it that actually like makes you really want to play it. And I just found that when I was reading the new one, it was like, oh, this isn't... Oh, yeah, here's the map, because we're going to have a battle here, and then we're going to fight this thing. And then, you know, like it's very... Somehow it felt more prescriptive. And this is like trying to be really prescriptive, because it's really trying to hold your hand through the whole thing. Uh, but it also does things like when you go back to town, you rest and heal all hit points. Like, yeah. who gives a shit? We don't care about how much you heal per day. We don't care about rolling your hit dice to heal. Like, it has, again, almost a blades in the dark separation between the act, the adventure, and the downtime, where you just you heal everything up. As a it's known over. blades it's in the dark right. hater. No, I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't hate it. I haven't, I've never had a great experience playing Blades in the Dark, but I think yeah. as a yeah. menu of things to learn from, it's awesome. I and definitely enjoy reading it more than I enjoy playing it. Yeah. But. Oh, we should do like a reading of an RPG book podcast or something. Oh, God. What an idea. Um, Moneymaker any... for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, we've touched on a lot of it. The Monster and Treasure book, I did just want to say... It's it in rules. color. <laughs> it's in color. Um the monsters just there's every page has two columns each column is a monster with a huge half page illustration concise stats a little bit of like here's what they might do and a lot of them are like these are bats they might like fly down and bite you and then just try to run away oh some or have... this is an ogre and here's some typical comments exactly i love that's it that's the shit is that at the very bottom if it's an intelligent monster it says here's some stuff this monster might say um, which is the, really good. The Niyogi is one of my highlights of it. Um, I mean, the first one is not great. The first one is, you could be my slave or my dinner. It doesn't make much difference to me. But the second the second quote for the Niyogi is, whatever that is, it's mine. <laughs> and I want it now. <laughs> I'm like, great. But just, it's just like, I know, I know that the contemporary thought around monsters and whatever is to not make them like baseline evil generic well baseline evil but also like the same right like everybody's like we want variation and um but i i just feel like it is very useful for me because the way that i don't know i guess the way that i play is that outside of like a very big outside of a really notable character it doesn't matter if the lizard men are different than the other lizard men (laughs) You know, right. like, and, if you, and if you are bringing enough lizard men to the table that you feel like, oh, I need to change this up, just don't use lizard men anymore. Do something else. Well, and like, and it still gives me like a good idea of how to play them because maybe it's not all lizard men or whatever, but right. it is this band. Uh, and it does. The other thing I wanted to point out to the 
monster descriptions is that a lot of them, we were talking about how all the classes have their own mini games. A lot of these monsters come with their own mini games too. So it's like, this is a flock of giant bats. Um, if you know, they move around a lot. It's hard to see. If you want to shoot one, you have to succeed on this dexterity check first or whatever. Um, or like, if this monster charges and grapples, it'll hit you. And then the round after that, it's easier to hit. Like they kind of come with these very clear, almost video game-esque before there was a lot of popular study of video games. Like I'm going to read its actions. I know that once it does this attack, it will then sit there for a round. Um, and it kind of explains how to telegraph that, the mechanics behind it. It's good. Yeah. And it's it's concise. Like, it's not like, here's all these intricate new rules to add. It's just usually a role or a helpful piece of advice to the DM. Yeah. I wonder how it plays. We should play it. Yeah. Uh, mainly so that I can be a gargoyle and say humans are so soft and squishy, let's hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. in my experience, it's true. I'm very easily hurt. Yeah. So. so you're very soft and squishy. Uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. It's nice. There's a treasure. The treasure table in the back is also nice. Like there's a, and there's a bunch of unique treasure. And like, to be honest, when I think of like my nostalgic experience playing D&D, so much of it is in treasure tables. Right. And, and you know, items. there's treasure tables to roll. There's a select list of magic items like the luck blade and the boots of elven kind, like just some good solid treasures to give people. Um, yeah. And they have little images and descriptions. And for like that stuff for me was always the fun part of like, I'm going to, I really love rolling random treasure. That's always. Yeah. It's good as a random thing. And then it's also just like a beautiful menu. That's the other thing I think about, like adjacent to middle school educational material is like, these are menus and you can kind of look through casually. If you see something that catches your eye, you can kind of, look a little closer and you get a bit more information, but then you can flip back. You don't have to commit. There's some sides that you can add to the main dish. Like it feels very inviting in that way. Yeah. 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 It's just all good. It's all good. I mean, it's not like every word is good, but the 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 range is totally fine to very good. Yeah. I would like more things to have that range. Yeah. There's no, like, I didn't get to any point where I was reading it and I was like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> There's Cannot. also a sweet-ass poster for Mistara, the known world. Do you have this in yours? No. Do I oh. not? I only have the map. It's a big poster of a, of a man fighting a red dragon. It looks, oh, it looks so bad. bad. Yeah, sorry. You can have mine. I'll send it to you. <laughs> you know, it's, it was your, it's your nostalgic yeah. moment. You gotta, you gotta hang that on the wall. You gotta... Well. Let your nerd flag fly. Uh, <laughs> it's, your nerd flag is a and d poster. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's all good. It was a nice, it was a nice like, oh, it's the holidays. I'm going to excitedly read this short thing and it's going to all be kind of good or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, I definitely feel like even just the act of like f- reading one, like even just separating things into separate books, I think makes everything more digestible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, which I don't know. Got to do it. Got to implement some of the stuff in in my games. Yeah. Shout out to my first Kickstarter, which was a box set. Uh, 
I was going to say also shout out to your next Kickstarter, which is doing the opposite of all this and then combining two entire games. We'll get to, we'll get to that. That's the final thing we have to do. First, we have to do appendix. Now the people are waiting, right? The people are waiting appendix. Now, what are you reading? What did you read? Did you read? It's been so long. My recommendation for this related to this specifically, I've been playing a ton of vampire survivor. It's so good. Uh, Vampire Survivor is a bullet hell video game where you are the bullet hell and you are bullet helling (laughs) some computer game baddies and you are a little man with a whip or a little lady with some guns or a panda or a panda with a exploding cherry bomb and maybe you have three different kinds of bird that meld into (laughs) one other kind of bird and it's just a very I mean one you can get it and the DLC for under $5 together. Two, there's like a million things to discover and level up, but it doesn't require you to super grind. Uh, you're just walking around. It's you're mechanically just walk- You can play it one-handed. Like I can player, drink yeah. my coffee and just move using the directional keys. I don't know. It's a fun game. You fight monsters in a dungeon. It's exceptionally I'm, good. It I'm is thinking a, of it. Yeah, it's an exceptionally good game. It's video games of the year for me. Elden Ring pentiment and vampire survivors i gotta so. get back to pentiment uh definitely definitely Elden Ring. i'm trying to think about my video games i don't know my video game of the year i wasn't prepared for this um, no, you don't have to say it that was i just, mean it's that was Elden just Ring. Fine. i just don't know what goes after Elden ring yeah. um i am playing chained echoes right now mm. uh which is also really good commonly is... heralded as the worst name for a video game ever <laughs> it's a pretty shitty name but it's a very good uh rpg like classic pixel uh two-dimensional rpg um it's it'll hit all the classic rpg vibes but uh makes a lot of nice streamlined things like you heal between battles so you don't have to like resource hoard manage which is one of the things that i really hate about rpgs um and it has some interesting like like team um team battle stuff uh so truly the AD&D first quest box of classic rpgs yeah it's it's not it's not that far to be honest if you're like i want a i want a classic rpg experience but i don't want all of the trappings of like old game design yeah i, I mean i love game final fantasy 6 and 7 i love secret of mana and chrono trigger but going mm-hmm. back to replay replay those is like i do not want to grind my shit i do not want to you know it's rough it's, it's rough, rough. Uh, it also has some fun characters um it's kind of it's not hugely it kind of reminds me a little bit of octopath traveler um the the runner-up for the worst <laughs> named game uh but uh yeah i'm also i started reading the gormengast trilogy which feels yes, one of my all-time favorites it's great. It's so weird. Uh, it definitely feels like an RPG this, book. This is my tragedy, is that now that we are friends, you'll learn all these things that I love. And then if you ever go back and read anything I ever wrote, you'll be able to see like, oh, Aaron was just writing Gormenghast here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I fair. please, anyone listening, please do not read or experience anything I recommend because I will inevitably place them in the compost bin of my brain digest them and regurgitate them i well okay but actually the inverse is happening in my brain because i i read 
things that you have written before I read Gormenghast. <laughs> so I'm like, no, Gormenghast is writing Aaron King. That's right, Mervyn Peak. Watch your ass. I know you're dead, but you're stomping on my style. Today. It's definitely, it is extremely, I've had that thought multiple times we're reading it, I'm not going to lie. It's extremely easy to be like, yeah, this is some Aaron King bullshit. <laughs> um, the characters are very, are oh, very Oh, they're new. so good. There's also a BBC uh, miniseries of it, which is I like... I wondered if that was a thing. I was like, I want to watch the show. Yeah, it's, it's so like badly. a little low budget, but in a really charming way. I mean, it has I, to be. I think. Um, Christopher but... Lee is in it. Uh, Saruman <sighs> yes. from Lord of the Rings. Wonderful. Classic, you know, vampire and vampire hunter in the old Hammer horror movies. Listen, the uh, BBC Mists of Avalon is one of my favorite things in the entire world. So if it oof. does... <laughs> If it does that, I yeah, don't Ricky, don't give her money. It's fine. I was a lesbian. It's not yeah. whatever. No, uh, for real. Yeah. It was an important book. The book is the book is fine. The book is not problematic. Author super bad. Um get it from a library. It's a watershed moment in fantasy yeah. writing for sure. Yeah. Get it from a library. It's an it's an unfortunately exceptional book. Um and the BBC movie <laughs> Centralica Houston. It's great. Whatever. What? Amazing. Um, yeah, it's really good. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, so I am envisioning that, um, I'm envisioning that vibe, uh, that BBC vibe. So you yeah. should watch that, be, you should watch, you should watch The Mist of Avalon and I'll watch Garmin Guest and yeah. we can know each other better and then, uh, and then decide whether or not we want to enter into a polycule <laughs> right, with one right. another. <laughs> this is the test. Uh, the one other thing I want to say is that uh, Brain Trust Podcast just released their best of 2022 episode. Um, Brain Trust, I think, is where Max and I met. Yeah. But also just a general uh, inspiration general to me, ongoing uh, cyber metal uh, by Adam Bass, who is one so of the good. Brain Trust. A great game. Um, but yeah, go if you have not listened to their podcast before, go listen to this best of 2022 podcast. One best of category is best randomizer so like um the dice or <laughs> some cards uh yeah it's it's good it's fun i um i i use the brain trust podcast as a um official game design reference for my students to use if they want to not read an academic theory amazing i book. use it as my official i need to do a bunch of dishes and sweep the floors podcast Yes, it is they good get, for that. They get me through that. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. It's been it's a good media moment. All three of those uh, very enjoyable. Are you reading? Are you reading anything? No, I'm only reading shitty comic books written by mm. Chris Claremont. Only shitty comic books. No good comic books. I also am reading good comic books, but started reading Berserk. It's so good. Um, cool. Uh, we are done here. Check out. Our Ko-Fi for a limited time only, maybe? No, we're getting rid of it. Okay, you can check it out if you want, but we are, I am, okay, I'm doing the whole thing. We are switching to Patreon because uh, Ko-Fi is expensive and hasn't doesn't have super good tools. So we're going to be uh, doing that over the next probably couple months because I was going to make it for the launch of the year, but then we decided to release a games together. And so I am giving myself <laughs> until after the crowdfunding campaign to properly set up the Patreon. Um, 
which will be the end of February. But we are going to actually start having some kind of exclusive content. Um, when we get it set up, we will be like releasing at the very least the the Traveler episode to start and the um, game included in the Traveler J card that we made. False um, Bottoms issues. So if you missed yeah. the first one of those, the PDF will be up there exclusively. Um, probably unedited episodes. And then maybe eventually some small actual plays. Maybe... Um, if there is stuff you want to exist there, let us yes. know. If there's like, we would actually love it if you came back and had another chat about this thing or whatever. Um, I think that both of us are kind of open to... Right. This is a way to bribe us to yeah. read yeah, and talk about what you want. Yeah. There's definitely... Um, I think both of us are kind of open to it taking a couple different forms and having different kinds of content on there and the idea of like making little... Uh, snippets of things to go there is exciting right. for me. I'm, I will do, I am going to do the audio equivalent of TikToks, like for games that I read that will never be on the podcast, which is a number of them. There you'll get some little 10 and 15 minute episodes. Yeah. Um, that's that. We're going to do a Kickstarter in February. More info forthcoming. I don't know that we have a lot to say about it right now. It it's might be really be, cool. It might be called Now Leaving the 20th Century. It might yeah. be called hell millennium um it's, what we can say is that it's gonna be fucking cool and we're each making a game and it's gonna be in the same book um and there may be an ar element because we have left the 20th century and live in the future yeah uh, i'm doing my like uh, hack what do you call it there's like a, a good term for it it's my love letter to the Invisibles by Grant Morrison and a bunch of artists. Uh, Mage, The Awakening, The Old World of Darkness game. The Matrix. It's about like fear of the millennium and fighting against the evil forces that are keeping it from looking like what you want. Uh, I think this is probably the horniest game I've ever written. Yes. Uh, mine is the least horny game I've ever. It's probably not the least <laughs> horny game. I am doing what was once, uh, what I once thought was going to be an adventure for Cyber Metal because Cyber Metal fucking slaps. Um, mine is also inspired. Like, I read Cyber Metal and I was like, I need to make this game now. Uh, but it, it, as all of my projects do, it ballooned far away and has moved far beyond just being a simple adventure. But it is, so it's a little bit inspired by Cyber Metal. Um, take some mechanical cues from it it uh it also is inspired by alice in borderland and the mole uh and is all uh backstabbing pvp ve uh hyper violence lots of gore minions of hell witchcraft yeah, we, we just play tested it today it was really fun yeah i it killed a bunch like, of people okay. and did a cannonball into a pool off of a hotel roof and was promptly killed by an orbital laser yeah, Sean got eaten by a kind of hot demon. A demon-infested trash bin. <laughs> yeah, we don't. It wasn't fully clear. Uh, and Christian walked away, fine, I guess. Yeah, but also like summoned lords of hell. So, um, yeah, it was good times. So that's coming. We uh, we will have a, a launch page up probably, hopefully, before the next episode. Yes, um, for sure, before the next episode. So that you can follow along and uh, help us uh, reach our goals. But our Discord is still up. There's still a link in the show we notes. Love it. It's if a you good want to hang out, it's good. It's where we find people to, you know, play test cannonballing into a hotel pool. 
and next episode yes are you excited for this particularly? I'm uh, always excited about the Pondsmith episode. <laughs> Next episode is we love Pondsmith here. Cyber Generation, the sort Cyber. of punk sequel, the two punk sequel to Cyberpunk. Yeah, uh, by Mike Pondsmith, which we discovered thanks to people in our Discord. So I do not have the name on hand. I should have, but shout out to whoever on our Discord told us about Cyber Generation. Cyber Generation is Mike Pondsmith being. Like, hey, we've lost sight of the punk aspect in cyberpunk. Let's bring it back. Um, so it's about, like, mutated teens in the cyberpunk universe whose parents are, like, jaded punks. And they're yeah. like, no, we're getting back to the real work, uh, which is such an amazing concept. And yeah, I'm so excited. I've started reading it. It's cool. Um, there's good stuff in there for sure. So uh, friend of the show, Mike Pondsmith, if you ever want to hang out with us. <laughs> for years we're just gonna be like hey mike pondsmith we're never gonna approach you directly but please join our discord we're just gonna put it into the ether i love your voice and your choice of sunglasses so yeah always always good on the style take us i'm i'm so glad you're back and i am not and you're not keegan yelling at me to end the episode (laughs) wait did you forget to find a quote no of course i didn't good because you're not me uh do it up silence who dares disturb bone ash of the ogre's den of death and destruction a bunch of puny humans rip them to pieces it's chow time <laughs> i love them <laughs>